Hello, and welcome to our weekly message. Today's message, Pastor Myron continues our Advent sermon series titled, Jesus in Our Story. This week's message is titled, God's Final Word, from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now in this season of Advent, we're in a teaching series called, Jesus in Our Story. And I'm thinking about a story, a Christmas story, actually it's a novel, and it's widely acclaimed as the top Christmas novel of all time. Now, this Christmas novel over the years has been reimagined in all kinds of different ways. It's been transformed into a Broadway play. It's been transformed into a musical. There have been more than 20 different movie adaptations made of this Christmas novel. Movie adaptations all the way from Mickey Mouse and the Muppets to Alistair Sims and George C. Scott. In the 180 years since this Christmas novel was published and released, scores of people around the world have been deeply moved in their hearts, and they have been delighted as well as they've read the story or have seen it performed. And that Christmas novel, of course, is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I read some things recently about A Christmas Carol, things that I didn't know and I learned. Perhaps you knew some of these things. Charles Dickens wrote the novel in just six weeks. And then he himself performed it theatrically in a one-man show back in the day. Here's something else I learned about A Christmas Carol. The two-word phrase that we automatically associate with Ebenezer Scrooge, that phrase would be, humbug. In my brain, as I think of A Christmas Carol, that's Scrooge's catchphrase. But in reality, it appears just twice in the entire story. Here's another thing. We greet one another in this season with Merry Christmas. And where did that come to us from? A Christmas Carol. That's where the phrase got its start. And then this. When in December of 1843... Charles Dickens published A Christmas Carol. The message of that story, of that novel, was profoundly impactful in the world in which he lived. People were moved at the story of Ebenezer Scrooge being transformed from stingy, miserly, cold-hearted to caring and giving and generosity. And they were so moved by the impactful message of the story that at that time in history in Britain, charitable giving experienced a significant rise. It all makes me think of another Christmas story, the Christmas story. And at the very first Christmas, God Almighty sent an impactful message into our world as well. And that message was a person, and that person was Jesus. And Jesus, the Christ of Christmas is God's greatest and final word to us. We read that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. I've got a slide on the screen. And there the word of God says in these last days, He, that's God the Father, has spoken to us by His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ is God the Father's greatest and final word. I invite you now in your Bible or on your device to find Hebrews chapter 1. And together this morning, we're going to study the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, as well as verse 6. And in these verses of Scripture, friends, I want us to see three powerful truths 
about the message of Christmas. And the message of Christmas is a person. And the person is Jesus. The message that God sent to us from glory into our story at the very first Christmas. Here's the first truth. And we see it in verses 1 and 2 about Jesus, who is the message of Christmas. And it's this. Jesus perfectly reflects the mind of God. Jesus perfectly reflects the mind of God. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. As the Word of God declares, God is love. And love always seeks to express itself. And so throughout human history, God has been at work to reveal who he is from his heart of love for people to us. And that revealing of the character of God through history would have taken all kinds of forms. For starters, God has given us witness of who he is in creation. What does the psalmist say? The heavens declare the glory of God. And God spoke of who he was through the prophets, through Moses, through Isaiah, through Daniel, through other prophets. And at different times and in various ways, God explained and revealed something of who he was to people in all kinds of unique ways. God spoke out of a whirlwind. God wrote on walls. God even spoke from the mouth of a donkey. But what does the verse say? In these days, God has spoken to us through his Son. The Lord Jesus Christ perfectly reveals the mind of God. And he, friends, is the message of the Christmas season and God's greatest and final word to us. Look at that second verse where it says, In these days, he, God, has spoken to us by his Son. That phrase literally reads, In these days, he talks to us in Son. God talks to us in Son. It's not great English, but it's a great truth. The prophets of old, they spoke about the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Almighty God didn't just speak to us by His Son. He spoke to us in His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of the person and message of Almighty God. And at Christmas, it was this Lord Jesus Christ who came into our world to be born as Bethlehem's babe, God incarnate. Now, if you'll indulge me, I want to go in the direction of the uber trivial for just a moment. We have in our household, we have a miniature dachshund, and her name is Kobe. And I got a picture of Kobe. And there Kobe is uh, sitting on her primary caregiver's lap. That would be my wife. And we're driving through Starbucks. And did you know that if you go to Starbucks, you can ask for a puppuccino, which you get for free, it's a little cup filled with whipped cream. That's one of Kobe's favorites. Now, Kobe is fun. She's loyal. She's intuitive. If you're having a down day, if you're not feeling well, she'll curl up by you because she understands that. And at the same time, Kobe can be incredibly daft. She's afraid of vacuum cleaners, which I think is pretty common for canines. But she's also afraid of empty cardboard boxes. Kobe is also afraid, I mean seriously rattled by laundry baskets. 
every once in a while, if I'm feeling particularly cruel, I will pick her up and set her in said laundry basket. Now that's mean. If only, you know, we could just say Kobe. You're living the good life. We feed you, we get you water, we take you for walks. I mean, just chill and relax. The people in your life are going to take good care of you. You really don't need to sweat this. And then if we go from there to the absolutely profound, which is the character of Almighty God, God who is infinite in his glory and greatness. I mean, how could God ever give to us a final word of who he is? I mean, in a way that our finite, pea brain, human minds could comprehend. God's plan was this. In history, God incarnated himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who so condescended himself that he took upon himself a body and was born in Bethlehem to Mary as God incarnate. And as the final and greatest revelation of the mind of Almighty God. Friends, if we wonder what does God think about people? What does God think about us? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this world full of grace and truth, as the Apostle John puts it. What does God think about broken sinners? What does God think about wounded sinners who fall woefully short of his glory? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly reveals the mind of God. In his earthly ministry, sinners were not repelled by Jesus. They were drawn to him, for they found in him love and mercy and compassion and grace. If we wonder, what does God the Father think about people who are brokenhearted and crushed under the weight of grief? Look at Jesus in his earthly ministry. Our Lord Jesus Christ one day was out with his disciples and he saw a group of people and he could tell they were struggling. And the gospel writer tells us that in his emotions, inside, he was so deeply moved. He was filled with compassion. Why? Because he looked at those broken and crushed and lost people and he said, I'm just crushed for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. This is our Lord Jesus Christ who reveals to us so perfectly, so completely the very mind of Almighty God. This is who Jesus is to us. Here's a second truth that we see in these verses about Jesus who is God's greatest and final message. In these days, he's spoken to us in Son by his Son, the Lord Jesus. The second truth is this. Jesus mightily releases the will of God. We're going to see in these verses that Jesus is the agent of creation. Look at verses 2 and 3. But in these last days, he, God the Father, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In those verses, the writer to the Hebrew Christians says incredible things, audacious things about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the message of Christmas. The Word of God here declares that Jesus is the power for creation. 
by the spoken word and might of the babe who was born in Bethlehem, the universes were created. Everything that is was created by our Lord Jesus Christ. He flung stars billions of light years into space. The verses tell us that our Lord Jesus Christ is also the one who is the possessor of creation. The babe of Bethlehem, the child born to Mary, placed in a manger, in a stable in Bethlehem, that child is heir of all things. He owns it all. Amen? All of it. And he's the preserver of the universe. As the verses tell us, the Lord Jesus Christ sustains it and keeps it running by the power of his spoken word and by the power of his might. And if the Lord Jesus lifted his hand off the universe, everything would spin wildly out of control. But he is the preserver of everything that is. Now I look back at that second verse, and this rolls off the tongue pretty easy. It says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. That rolls off the tongue, he made the universe, but that's a big statement. The late Stephen Hawking, in his book, A Brief History of Time, notes that our Milky Way galaxy is a medium-sized spiral galaxy that looks something like a spiral that you would put on top of a pastry. But that medium-sized spiral galaxy is 100,000 light-years in diameter. Or if we prefer, it is about 100 trillion kilo, um, 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 Miles across. But that's not all. This universe, this Milky Way galaxy, it's one of maybe 100 million galaxies. And every one of those galaxies might have as many as 100 million stars in it. And each of those galaxies is 3 million light years apart. You know what that is? That's huge. That's astronomical. That is so beyond our finite ability to wrap our brains behind. And... The word of God declares that our king is responsible for it all. Amen? Now think of our Lord Jesus Christ in his greatness. The creator, the sustainer of everything that is. I've got a slide here. And there's the Milky Way galaxy. And on the bottom left is the blue planet, Earth. And it's a tiny speck in that galaxy. And on that planet somewhere would be even smaller specks, and that would be you and me. This king, who mightily releases the will of God and is the agent of creation, who's greater than all of the universe, that king, can we believe this now, so humbled himself that the king who was bigger than the universe came down to this blue planet, and he was born a tiny baby, and he did that for us. He did it for you and for you and he did that for me. I'm thinking of that conversation that the angel had with Joseph. And the angel of the Lord, you'll recall, said, Joe, you are going to be a dad. But it's all good because your wife-to-be has conceived the Messiah by the power of the Spirit of God and when the child is born, Joe, this is the name you're to give him. You're to call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save 
his people from their sins. Can you believe that the king from all eternity, who's the creator of everything that is, who's bigger than the universe, would come down to this world to be born as the babe of Bethlehem to rescue you and me from our sins? And that sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ coming to this world to give his life for us becomes real and transformational for us for time and eternity when, by God's grace, we say yes to Jesus. We confess our sins to him, believing that he's the only one who could rescue us from our sins, and we yield to him as Savior and Lord. He came, Jesus, greater than all the universe, to the blue planet for us. Jesus, who is God's greatest and final word, he perfectly reveals the mind of God. He mightily releases the will of God. And finally, Jesus brilliantly reflects the heart of God. Look at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer to the Hebrew believers tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of Almighty God. Think of the sun. You can't look at the sun. The radiance is too brilliant. That's the idea conveyed by that word radiance. It speaks of the Shekinah, the visible glory of God, the radiant energy of God, which is so brilliant that no person could ever look upon it. The Son of God has the radiance of God the Father. Not only that, says the writer of Hebrews, he's the exact representation of God. That word exact representation translates one word, and it's this word, character. Now, if we tweak that word a little bit, we immediately get the English word that we get from it. And the English word is character. Character is who you really are. I mean, that's the real me. That's the real us. In his character, our Lord Jesus Christ is God a very God. Amen? Fully God, fully human. God stepped out of eternity, out of glory, to move into our story. That through him we might be set free. Now the writer of Hebrews says something really unique. That our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect God-man. Having entered into this world, he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then, at an appointed time in history, Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, on the cross of Calvary, offered his righteousness for our unrighteousness, his sinlessness for our sinfulness. He died in our place taking upon himself the punishment we deserve to take by his death on the cross, by his shed blood, he paid for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And again, that becomes real and transforming for us when we simply say yes in faith to Jesus. Now the writer of Hebrews says something really interesting. He says, having made purification for our sins, having perfectly paid for all of our sins by his death on the cross of Calvary, Jesus did what? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Focus on that phrase, he sat down. Now the Old Testament temple, uh, the temple that would have been there in Jesus' day, 
took 46 years to build. And I've got a slide of it. That's a model of it in the, at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. That temple took 46 years to build. And if you go to Jerusalem today, what you can visit that's left of that temple would be the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall or the Kotel. Took 46 years to build. In today's dollars, it cost about a billion bucks to construct. And when all was said and done, there was not one chair found inside the temple. There's no place to sit down. And we would say to ourselves, okay, the building committee clearly missed an obvious detail. It was very intentional. It was a daily object lesson and reminder for the priests who would serve the Lord God before the people of God. It was a daily reminder for the people of God. The priests had nowhere to sit down. Why? Because their job was never done. In accordance with the Old Testament, Levitical law, day after day, priest after priest, century after century, they offered up sacrifices unto God on behalf of, those, of the people of God, but the job was never completed. Those sacrifices in and of themselves were incomplete. They pointed to the one who would make a once-for-all sacrifice, but in and of themselves, the work was never finished, not for those priests. But then came along the Lord Jesus Christ. Who perfectly and brilliantly and radiantly reflects the heart of God. And he came into this world. And so great was his sacrifice on our behalf. And so powerful was the grace of God upon it. That when Jesus had given his life for us on the cross, and when he was raised to life three days later, he sat down because the work was finished. Amen? The first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels. Those are words that Jesus spoke when he was 12 years old. You remember the story? His family went to the Passover Mary and Joseph started to make their way home. They thought Jesus is with them. And anyways, you know how it worked out. They forgot him behind. So mom and dad circled back to the temple in Jerusalem. And they say to him, son, what is going on? And Jesus said, I've got to be about my father's business. I need to do my father's work. What were the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross of Calvary? Three words which translate one word. It is finished. The work was completed. Friends, do you know this Lord Jesus Christ? Have you yielded your life to him in faith? Have you in faith invited the king from glory who stepped into our story, into your story? He, as reflective of the heart of God, who desires for sinners to be forgiven and to restore the relationship with him. He sent his son into this world for us. And Jesus, his once for all sacrifice, is enough to pay for all of our sins, for my sins, for yours, that we might be forgiven and set free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, historians can talk about Catherine the Great, and they do, and Alexander the Great and other greats. But you cannot talk about Jesus the Great. It doesn't work. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is in a class all by himself. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? And a million years from now, he will still be king of kings and lord of lords. Is it any wonder that Hebrews 1 and verse 6 says what it says? And again, 
when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Can we imagine all of the angels in heaven on that first Christmas night standing tiptoe on the edge of expectation? Why? Because the king from all eternity, unbelievably, was about to be born as a baby to Mary and to Joseph in a manger, in a stable, in an out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. So friends, in these days of Advent, may I ask that we first of all ensure in our hearts that we know Jesus by faith. This king, greater than all the universe, who came to earth to rescue us from our sins, have you yielded your life in faith to Jesus? If you've not, then do so today. And if you have, the greatness of our king in these days of Advent calls us to press into him as we never have before, to worship him with all that we have got, and to confess to him again, Lord Jesus, the glory of your greatness, the wonder of your grace, it's transformed me, and it compels me and us to join you on mission in these days of Advent to make your name known in the people relationships that you have blessed us to have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, to the degree that we get this, and it's smallish, it blows our minds to think that the king from all eternity, the king whose greatness is without limit, that you would so humble yourself that you would come into this world to be born as the babe of Bethlehem and that with the express purpose as God's last and greatest word to us of rescuing us from our sins. Our hearts are humbled. We give to you, Lord Jesus, this morning our humble and grateful worship. And we confess again today what a joy it is that you would call us, that you would invite us, that we would get to join you on mission to share something of your awesome glory and goodness with the people that you have placed in our lives. Jesus, for your great honor and glory, we pray all of these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our weekly message. Jesus perfectly reflects the mind of God, the will of God, and the heart of God. When we see Jesus, we see God. Jesus came to save the world by paying the price for our sins, to restore us to relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus came with a purpose, and that purpose is to be our once and for all sacrifice, paying a price we could not pay, paying a debt we could not fulfill. Thanks be to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was born 2,000 years ago. This baby that was born wants to join our story as we live our life for the glory of God. Have you made a decision to invite Jesus into your life, into your story? If you're experiencing challenges or hardships and would like prayer for anything going on in your life, or if you'd like to learn more about how to invite Jesus into your story and begin a relationship with Jesus, please email help at hhachurch.com. That's help, H-E-L-P, at H for Harvest, H for Hills, A for Alliance, Church, C-H-U-R-C-H.com. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you invite Jesus into your story. Now these words from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, May he equip with you all you need for doing his will, 
May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. O glory to him forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you as you go into the remainder of your day to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus.